broadcasting from Chico, California. This is the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast, where we discuss NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries science and management, conservation, and more. No better, fish better. Here's your host, Hogan Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Hogan Brown, and this is the Barbless Podcast. It is, gosh, what is it? The... I don't know, second or third week of January, and uh, we're kind of having that pseudo spring that we usually get here in California. It's uh, kind of scary nice. I think I'm getting a little nervous waiting for some more rain here to come in, but um, you know, if the first couple uh, months of fall and winter were any sign, we should hopefully get that uh, February, March, just deluge of water um, that we can get on a normal winter. But uh, the weather's beautiful. Been spending a lot of time. Gosh, I've been the last couple weeks been out on the lower Yuba. Um, flows are scary low. <laughs> uh, Englebright is not letting any water out. I think the release is like south of 600, between 5 and 600. And there is, gosh, about 50, I think, CFS coming down Deer Creek. Some of that low elevation snow is melting. Um Water's still a little murky. I think the lake's pretty colored up, but, uh, you know, the thing that I realized, I think I was out there a couple times over the last week was there's no other place that I see the growth of our sport over the, uh, the COVID era or the COVID growth as the lower Yuba. Um, I think from the point I put in at my private access, above the bridge to my private takeout at Degiri. I don't think rowing down the river, I was never not in sight of bank anglers, which is, if you know the lower Yuba, there's always some dead spots in there between the accesses and such. But uh, man, it was, it was packed. Um, I'm not sure that affected fishing much. Fishing was pretty decent. We got some, got pretty typical winter type of day on the water. We got some, really nice fish. There's some, some really nice fish in the Yuba that are, uh, chomping on some flies. We caught most of our fish on pretty standard stuff, rubber legs and eggs and little beta nymphs. Um, did not see any squalas. I saw some shucks on the rocks, but, uh, you know, I'm sure some of those people on the banks were chasing that, chasing that dragon. Um, also been on the, uh, the old inland ocean, Lake Orville, been getting some nice fish there. Um, the bite slowed a little bit, not a ton. We still been getting into good numbers of fish, fishing the float and fly and such. So it's, uh, definitely going to keep going out there. Ryan, I know if, uh, if you follow kind of social media and stuff, Ryan Williams, one of the, the Cal Bass Union, uh, members with me placed, I think Ryan got 14th in the wild west Shasta tournament last weekend. So our fellow fly angler fishing the tournament trail is, uh, gosh, I, I mean, 14th. I mean, I think he beat 150 people with a fly rod, him and his partner were, uh, his partner was fishing conventional gear and he was fishing a fly rod. So I consider that a win. Other than that, not a whole lot going on. Um, we got a great guest today, Bryce Tedford, good friend of mine and a great guide and kind of an interesting story. I'll uh, let him tell you all about it when we interview him, but a uh, great guy, dear friend, and uh, probably one of the the most passionate guides that I know. 
the guy has more energy than any guy that I've ever been on the water with, just fired up all the time. And that type of energy is contagious. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy my interview with Captain Bryce Tedford. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to welcome a, a good friend to the podcast today. Um, Captain, we do have to refer to each other as captains. We, we, did, we did earn those titles. Uh, <laughs> Captain, we did. We did. We did. Yeah. Uh, you probably you probably use what you learned more than I did. But uh, Captain Bryce Tedford from uh, where, where is your location officially? Sacramento? Are you Sacramento? Official location these days is Lodi, California. Oh, stuck in Lodi. God, you know I I never really like understood that until I went to Lodi, and I was like, yeah. I mean you're. <laughs> It's kind of it, like, it was funny. I went down and I did a fly tying event in Lodi last month in December. Yep. I hadn't been there forever. And I'm like, you know, this is a quaint little nice town. Like it's got a really cool like fairground and like there's a, a, a like a park square downtown. And then like, I kind of like started thinking about the song stuck in Lodi and I'm like, yeah, you could totally get stuck here, like metaphorically and physically, you know, so definitely, definitely. You know, I kind of picture it. So I kind of picture it back then. Right. Like I picture them being stuck on like either I-5 at Flag City or <laughs> yeah. 99 on Cherokee Lane. And yeah. both of those are pretty much horrible. Yeah. Uh, so if you'd and I also believe that whenever I say Lodi, most people don't even know what you just said. All they see is those two points. Like they drive by on 99 and it's, it's pretty bad out there on yeah. uh, 99 Cherokee. And then same again, flag city and five isn't much better. And technically that's Lodi, you know, and there's yeah. 65,000 people in between and there's some really cool stuff. Uh, like you said, the inner city, some great restaurants, and it's a nice area, but if you just drive by it on the highway, it is not much at all. Yeah, no, the uh, the the vistas from I five and Highway ninety nine do not do the town of Lodi justice. So, no, you know, if no. It, listeners, you know, take a left or a right turn, give it give it a minute. You know, y yeah, and there's a lot of vineyards to drive through, and some, like I said, some great restaurants and some great wineries to visit. Uh, but that said, you do it, you visit a day or two and you're pretty much done with Lodi. Done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless, unless you're pulling up residents or you're <laughs> metaphorically or physically stuck. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Lodi and, uh, I mean, obviously I, I know what you do, but tell the listeners, uh, what you do. So since moving down to California about 10 years ago, so I've been in the guiding thing now for about 25 years. Yeah. And that's a really I, interesting story. And I want to get into that, but let them know what you do. Like what's your job description right now? Exactly. So like here I am on the, the latter 10 years of that 20, that 25 years. And that's since I've moved down into 2010, I'm kind of like a reverse Californian in that, <laughs> you know, um, it's kind of funny. People are like, I'm sorry, you moved to California from Oregon, Idaho and Washington. I get this in the boat all the time. And I'm like, yeah, here I am in uh, California. And about 10 years ago, I, I, I got married. I, I kind of grew up a little bit, got married, had a kid and ended up in California. And I sat down here for about a year trying to figure things out. I'd been guiding for about 15 years, 
And what popped up as the most interesting and exciting thing for me in my area was the Delta and the, the California Delta, Sacramento, San Joaquin Delta of, you know, uh, uh, like 1,200 square miles of water looked like the most over the top, out of my league, but exciting thing to get into. And <laughs> so, because I had guided, you know, a ton of drift boating in in Idaho, Oregon, and Washington, a ton of uh, steelheading, and the most unique and crazy thing down here for me was this Delta and get a powerboat and get a captain's license like you alluded to and go for it. And I was super lucky that Captain Maury Hatch kind of took me under his wing and was willing to point me in the right direction out on the Delta because it's completely overwhelming to this day. <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, here we are 1500 to 2000 trips later out there and I'm still scratching my head sometimes. But I have a much better idea. And so back to your question, 10 months of 10 months of the year, stripers, largemouth and smallmouth, and I absolutely love the change and the excitement and the challenge that the Delta brings and just the all-in warm water of those three species and how uniquely different they are to, you know, to attack on the Delta. Yeah. And it, what really interests me, and I, and I try to explain this to, to people all the time is, you know, how hard it is in my own life going from like being a trout guide to a striper and bass guide. Like that was, and it, there's not many people outside of you that I really know that have done that. And so <laughs> Tell me a little bit about, were you guiding, you see, so you got Idaho, Oregon, and Washington, and it's hilarious. That those are all the people that, or those are all the places that people like literally flee totally. to from the state of California. Totally. And, yeah. And I was fishing in Montana the whole time while I was there too. I just wasn't guiding it. But yeah, uh, yeah so you take, I, yeah, when I tell, they, everybody thinks I lost my mind and just, you know, totally sold out <laughs> on life because I used to just live on the rivers up there, you know, I mean. So yeah. I was born and raised on Bainbridge Island, you know, up oh, in wow. Washington state. Yeah. I, I got into fly fishing with my mom on, in the early nineties. So I was raised as an only child up on Bainbridge with a mom that owns a landscaping business. And she had been through everything you could think of, of like, she was one, like one of the original windsurfers back in the eighties <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that on hood river. And she just leave me on the beaches. And then she realized, wow, I got this kid. We should probably do something. And I think it was the early nineties. And I know you've talked about this in some of your podcasts, which I've really enjoyed by the way. Thank you. Thank uh, you. We went in the early nineties and we picked up a couple of DS outfits, you know, the yeah, discovery series. Absolutely. We, we got a uh, first cast to first fish. I can't remember the author at this point, but first yeah. cast to first fish. And we basically, we were super lucky cause we we're on Bainbridge, right? So Sage fly rods is located on Bainbridge Island. Yeah. You know, I used to dumpster dive, of course, in, you know, <laughs> in there hoping to run into something, you know, um, put a couple pieces of various broken rods together. You know, actually, <laughs> I had, I had better luck in the, in the dumpsters of streamline back in the day <laughs> yeah. when, you know, because they throw waders out that were not quite destroyed, but were pretty bad off. So yeah. that was the beginning. And then mom and I, uh, just started fishing all over, you know, Washington, which is the Yakima for trout. Yeah. Uh, not only Lenice and Mary lakes over in Eastern Washington, but the primary thing we did was all the beaches for silvers, Kings and cutthroats. So that's gotcha. kind of where I think 
the striper thing comes back to me is it was all about Puget Sound beaches, understanding the tides, when and where to be there. And it was, yeah. like I said, it was um, chasing the, the number one thing was the silvers. There was a bunch of resident coho there oh, and wow. we chase them off the beaches. And it was, there was some, inc- I mean, 10, 15 beautiful silvers in an evening uh, wow. out on just crystal calm Puget Sound water, sometimes on uh, top water, pulling poppers wow. across the surface. And I mean, it's not Alaska, but it was pretty incredible for where I was growing up. Oh, totally. And yeah. so from there, how did you, how did you get into guiding? Well, so you get done with the, you know, high school. So, so we did that through middle school, all the way through high school. It was just everything my mom and I could learn. Yeah. And then it was either come down to California and be on a partial water polo and swimming scholarship, uh, because water polo and swimming was my life in, you know, in high school, you know, that yeah. was, that was, that was what we were after. And, you know, we want a couple beautiful, of beautiful swimming weather up there. on Bainbridge. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, there, it was all indoor up there. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have all indoor pools up there. So, yeah. so swimming and water pool. And then I just, you know, I got this bug. I was working part time at a fly shop called Paul's bow angler fly shop just off the Island. Yeah. And, and then my first job out of high school was at Swallow's Nest in Seattle, Washington. So I was going across on the ferry doing that. And then it was time to go to Oregon. So uh, I got a gig where I took a small fly shop down to um, what was it, the Grand Ron River in the okay. northeastern yeah. corner of Oregon. Went down there and took this little satellite fly shop that went down there on the river for the fall steelhead season and I think that was like 97 or something like that. Okay. The fall of 97, right when I graduated, uh, date myself here. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, and from then on, you know, it was like, wow, this is it. And then I got to see guides in action on the, on the Grand Ron. And I decided that's what I wanted to be. You know, I was like, that's what I want to do. These guys have got it figured out. The life they're living, they were smoking cigars, drinking <laughs> scotch. Oh, Dude, yeah. It was the Deck Hogan era, you know. Yeah, so like, yeah. Deck Hogan was had worked down there for John Eklund or with John Eklund uh, of Little Creek Outfitters, which is now currently owned by Marty and Mia yeah. Shepherd. Yeah. But before they were there, it was John Eklund who started it with Troy Detman, also who was back up at that Paulsbo uh, Angler Fly Shop. So I go down there, see the world, and I'm like, "Yep, that's it." Well, John Eklund of Little Creek Outfitters offers me a job. And I decided, yep, I'm doing that instead of college for the time being. Go down to Oregon and uh, started doing the Deschutes, the Grand Ron, the John Day, and Hell's Canyon. All in a season, we'd hit each one based on what was going on. Uh, My first guide gig was on the John Day River doing three to six day fully outfitted bass fishing trips. Oh, wow. For the smallmouth, right? So that was my life. Like, you know, um, yeah. was, you know, and like I said, Marty, Mia, and Mia took, um, on that, uh, right as I was leaving, they were coming on actually. So I was there right when Marty started guiding out of, you know, he was doing the snowboard thing, yeah. I think up for the constant brothers, um, uh, up in, uh, was a Mount hood yeah. and, uh, he comes on and that was kind of the end of my tenure there. Uh, for around 2002, I believe it was, uh, wow. 
So like 97 to 2002 for about five, six years, it was just all about John Day, Deschutes, Grand Ron and the Hell's Canyon and doing, it was all about those, those three to six day, you know, trips where you would do all the cooking, all the cleaning, break down camp, put up camp. Uh, That was our, that was kind of, that's where I cut my teeth was doing you know, I learned all about the Dutch oven cooking and we all had our specialties <laughs> yeah. and I loved it. I yeah. lived for it. Yeah. And then I got an opportunity from there. I got to go over to Idaho and do this kind of the same thing on the middle fork of the salmon in Idaho oh, where you're okay. doing yeah, yeah, yeah. six day fully outfitted trips nonstop for like four or five months. And you're doing it down a hundred miles of some of the most pristine wilderness in the United States and you're doing, and I was doing it out of a drift boat, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, scary sometimes cause you're going down three class three and four whitewater, oh but rowing God. a handmade wood drift boat that I built with the owner down the middle fork of the salmon was kind of like the high point of yeah. that career, you know? Yeah. And so that's all, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I think what we think of as like traditional drift boat, tailwater, trout, steelhead fishing. Right. I mean, a lot of swung fly, I would imagine on like the Deschutes and stuff like that. Correct. Yeah. So the Oregon, it was, you know, like I said, you start, it was kind of the season would start out on the John day. We do like native American interpretive trips, sweat lodges and pictographs and petroglyphs. Then we'd move into the, uh, the small mouth on the John day. And then we'd move over into like hell's Canyon. And then back, like you said, it was all about the Deschutes and the grand Ron was for us was mainly about swinging two handed rods uh, they were pretty big at that time, you know, yeah. like the 70, the 71 40 or yeah, the uh, big 14 footers. <laughs> yeah. The big 14 foot Sage original, you know, that was kind of, yeah. I think there was a 71 36 as well. Uh, at the time, the 13 and a half foot seven weight. Yeah. And those were kind of the two rods, you know, you had a choice from at the time. Wow. Yeah. So, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and so you, you did that. I mean, you, I mean, you're essentially living the, the trout and steelhead dream and then (laughs) you moved, uh, you get married and you moved to Lodi. Well, I was doing living the steelhead. Yeah. The dream. And then it was over in the middle, uh, middle fork of the salmon for about six, seven years. Okay. And then on the side from that, I was in the falls. I was coming back after the middle fork of the salmon. You know, this was like 2002 to 2009 uh, time. It was Middle Fork of the Salmon. And then I'd come back and hit the Rogue River for the fall because it would just extend the season. So you're slowly, and you're slowly migrating south. I'm migrating <laughs> south, right? I'm working yeah. south. I didn't know why, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working south. And then I'm down here in California visiting one of my, so I have my dad, my stepmom, and my three half brothers are down here in California. Gotcha. So I have ties. Yeah. I do, and and throughout my life, I've always come down. I've almost had two families. I've been super lucky, you know. I mean, having yeah. two families, and so I'm down at one of their weddings, and of course, up comes her sister, uh, sees me swing dancing with uh, one of her, uh, uh, with one of one of my sister in laws, and she's like, "You need to meet my sister." And of course, I have a couple beers in my hand. I'm like, "Yes, I do." <laughs> And little did I know that was my reason for coming down to California in about 2010 to, you know, check out what's down here. Yeah. 
Little did you know you were buying a sparkle boat and a captain's license, right? That, it, it, it is super fun. Yeah. I mean, most of those guys up there, they don't even talk to me anymore. They're like, dude, I mean, it is still fly fishing, but to them, I've pretty much just lost my mind and gone off the deep end. Yeah. Well, it, so, I mean, you kind of must have had some interest in bass fishing based on the smallmouth fishing on the John Day, right? Like, I mean, you were. Yeah. I was trying to think about this before we talked, and you're right. I guess I had, you know, my original first guide gig was doing smallmouth bass on the John. I mean, that was my, like, just get, I was a bag boatman to start. You know, yeah. I would go ahead and set up camp, you know, first yeah. season. And then within a season or two, I ended up, I was running Little Creek Outfitters. And, uh, and I was the lead, you know, I know you've been through this, this yeah. program, but you end up becoming the lead guide yeah. and you're now running, you're set, you know, you're doing the shopping, you're holding the checkbook, you're driving the F-350 yep. and you're, you know, you're setting up all the trips and, you yeah. know, and there's, there's an owner who calls in every once in a while and he might even come on a trip or two, but, uh, you know, mainly you're the guy, you know, and you're, and you're running it and it was all about the small mouth and I almost bought that company, but then I just decided that middle fork of the salmon looked really exciting. Yeah. Uh, and it, for me, that was like the grand Canyon of fly fishing at the time where, you know, doing six day fully outfitted trips down the Frank church wilderness. Uh, it's a trip I wouldn't, I would suggest anybody go check out, you know, it, um, yeah. if they ever get a chance doing a six day fully outfitted trip down the middle fork of the salmon in Idaho, I would suggest going with a fly fishing company. There's a few of them over there that, uh, specifically look at it. And it was like, it was the culmination of that, that form of, um, guiding. And then, so, th- but the smallmouth was always kind of where I started. And yeah. so when I got down here, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm living in Sacramento at the time. I'll be honest. I'm in the suburban jungle going, what did I do? Why? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. Like that's totally, the, yeah. and you're right. So yeah, I mean, Lodi is a little better for me and it's not, you know, I can get to a, I can get to a vineyard within two to five minutes yeah. from my house. But with the middle of Sacramento, I pretty much thought I might've blown it, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> how's yeah. this going to work out? And then someone meant, you know, the, the, I knew the Delta was out there. I knew there were stripers yeah. and then someone mentioned, Hey, there's the small mouth thing too going on. Uh, I think it was Chris Christensen at, um, Keeney's fly shop goes, you know, I've been doing the small, I go, well, shoot, I know small mouth. That's what I used to do getting started and let's go check that out. Yeah. And so we, I, I went out there and I was like, this is awesome. And a lot of the guides, uh, that were currently out there. Some of them did stripers and some of them did largemouth and some of them did both stripers and largemouth or only one and the other, but very few people were willing to do all three. And, um, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of been my niche is, you know, is I found that for the most part, a good solid 10 months of the year, there's something going on. Sometimes there's more than one of those fisheries going on, but Generally, it's you got your striper season, you got your large mouth, small mouth season, and then back to stripers. And uh, the small mouth, I thought, was a huge opportunity out there. And so that was where you're like, okay, there's hope, right? Like, I'm going to figure this out. 
Oh, yes. Uh, And like I said, that kind of goes back to a super lucky guys like Andy Gibord were super at Keeney's Fly Shop was super supportive and just sending me like, hey, why don't you go up and try this area? And you go up this way and go that way. And so for a long time, a lot of people ask me about the Delta and how you know to get started on it. You always start from a point, you go out from that point, and you come back to that point, and you kind of work out from like say a marina. Yeah. And so for a long time, it was like marinas everywhere, but nothing was ever connected. Yes. Uh, gotcha. Over the years, I started finding figuring out that water in between the marinas. Gotcha. And the, and you almost have like so you you might start at four or five points in a circle around the delta but you never connect them until possibly a couple of years. Yeah. And so that's kind of when I was like, wow, there, there's definitely some opportunity out here between these three fisheries. There's only about five, six guys doing it regular. Yeah. Uh, it's a heavy investment, but it, it was the time to do something like that. You know, yeah. and it was, when did you yeah. go to the point where like, Cause you go out, you see the smallmouth fish, and I mean, it's a big jump between being like, "Okay, this is cool, smallmouth fishing," and like, "I'm dropping coin to buy a boat." It, it was. I'll be honest. I mean, I think the stripers obviously were the first, you know, because all I kept hearing from everybody was stripers, 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 with yeah. regard to the captains and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, most of them, would go do other things during the summer, like they would do. They do a spring season and a fall season. Yeah. With the exception, of course, as you know, Mike Costello, but even he has some other stuff that he does. Oh, um, absolutely. He doesn't. And at the time, back in the day, he was definitely wasn't just doing the Delta, but um, he was doing a couple other fisheries. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, well, very few people are willing to just stay there and go do stripers, largemouth, smallmouth. And it, for me, the biggest thing that I saw that was time to drop the coin was, I'll, I'll be honest, I looked, you were one of the guys I looked at. I looked <laughs> at like 20 guides out of Sacramento area, not that you're in Sacramento area, but yeah. in that, that say 20, 30 guys, and they're all kind of doing the same thing um, oh. at the time. Oh yeah, seeing, for sure. And from some of the fisheries, and I don't like to knock the fisheries in California because I think it has more fishing opportunity than just about any state in the country. Yeah. Uh, and for more time of the year. So I think there's a huge positive there, but some of the fisheries were pretty mediocre from what I came from, meaning oh, the trout fishing or yeah. the, say the steelhead fishing on the American river. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's a tough grind Yeah, from what I came from some of the nicer rivers in Oregon uh, through some amazing years yeah. would be, and if I'm going to stay close to home, which is I got married, I have a kid, I actually want to be around my family, <laughs> yeah. it, which cha- is a change, you know, from where yeah. I was before where it was, you know, it used to be, it was four or five months and my family was lucky to get a call once a month, you know, yeah. oh uh, for sure. my mom and dad or, you know, my, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, I didn't have a wife and a kid at that time. I don't know how you would. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But so it, when I came down here, for me, it simply came down to one of the least exploited opportunities in yes. California, if you were willing to make the investment, was the Delta or stripers, largemouth, smallmouth. And of course, it doesn't hurt that the Bay Area is one of the largest economies in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. it, it is... It, it it obviously <laughs> excuse me it obviously worked out and 
I imagine sitting in Sacramento at that time, looking at it, being like, <laughs> it, "That's the smart move," you know. But it had to have been tough because I mean, it, the American was still a very viable fishery at that time as a guide. I would imagine, you know, in in, in two thousand ten. Yeah, or was that about when it started to f- go downhill? It all blurs yeah, you together. You know, again, I it y- well. You know, again, I don't have the history behind that. What I noticed was compared to some of the fisheries that I had come from. Oh, yeah, that's not. And and what I and and I know you understand the difference between what I was considering an adult steelhead up in Oregon versus what might be an adult steelhead down here and your willingness to nymph if you're going to have any sort of consistent uh, consistency, whereas up there I was averaging a couple of fish a day on average by swinging and if yeah. i went nymphing well that would exponentially go higher <laughs> that's a whole nother you know? game yeah it, and these were and when i say adults we're talking you know 20 inch plus minimum with many of the fish being you know 25 to 30 inches or so you know and, yeah. and it, it was consistent it yeah when i came down here that was there was less fish challenging situations with the homeless along the rivers and whatnot <laughs> yeah. and and it, there were a lot of guides. And yeah. the funny thing about California is it has been – it. Uh, this is an, an, a crazy thing to me about California. It is the easiest place to become a fishing guide. Oh, yeah, by any far. any of the states I've been around. <laughs> Absolutely. Which d- means everybody's a fishing guide. Your, your mechanic who works, you know, five days a week, he's a, he's a fishing guide, right? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. On the, Absolutely. On the, Everybody, and that's not a knock. I mean, good for them doing other things. It's more that wow, that that makes it really challenging if I actually want to do this. Yeah, if you're actually going to be the guy that's going to pay his mortgage doing it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rather than I have another job and then on the side I do two days a week of guiding or yeah. three, you know whatever. Totally. So you know, it makes it tough. And uh, and yeah, I mean it's it's all in. Yeah. So. What, you know, I've always found it very interesting to talk to people that do such a, or make such a paradigm shift in ah. how they guide. Right. And I, 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 I kind of believe I preach to the choir sometimes when I talk about that. I, I honestly think it's harder to guide for bass species than it is for trout. If you're doing it on a consistent basis, you know, and, uh, what were some of the tough parts with you, when you made that switch, like with your mental approach to it, just things you kind of, it's a totally different mindset, right? Like it's a different program to put it simply. What, what yeah, were some of definitely. the things that you struggled with or that were hurdles? You know, I, I obviously it, I, one of my primary jobs up there was being a steelhead guide. And by steelhead guide, you're saying that if you get one adult steelhead to hand per day, you've had a pretty good day. Yeah. Well, what I, what I, I, I'll be honest, I came down here with pretty low expectations when it came to (laughs) the stripers, the large mouth and the small mouth. I now forget because it's 10 years later. uh, When I first came down here, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is like the easiest thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, after 10 years and myself being spoiled, and obviously sometimes our guests get spoiled and they come back with you very regular, what would be an amazing day in another fishery 
could be a very average day with small mouth, large mouth and stripers because you usually do pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I've, you're, tr- you're right. Yes. I, so what I found is I'm kind of on another cycle. Like, so when I came down here, stripers, large mouth and small mouth, although they were completely different, it kind of went back to my roots with chasing silvers off the beaches with at least, you know, hucking line, stripping hard. Well, that's stripers. And then the, I done the small mouth thing with, uh, the John day river. So that made sense to me, but now I'm doing it with a boat and I'm just going along the rock walls and whatnot and the rivers and the, and the jetties. And then the large mouth, it's just like, you gotta be kidding me. They'll come up and eat something the size of my hand <laughs> that looks like a frog yeah. and explode on it. And that's like the number three fishery that I do, but it's in its own right. It's an incredible fishery. So although they are challenging and I think the more challenging thing is all the stuff you need. Like you got to have the boat. You got to know how to properly move that boat along that fishery to properly fish it. You got to have the right gear. You got to be willing to change your gear. Meaning for me, that means grab a, a, you know, I've got 14 fully rigged outfits in my boat. So when, (laughs) when, when a fly's not working, I almost rarely change the fly. I'll change the whole rig up, you know, and here's, here's another rig setup. And you take all that and put it together. I think that's the challenge of stripers, large mouth and small mouth is more just the whole picture, not necessarily the actual fish. Gotcha. That's interesting. Cause I never thought of that, but you are absolutely right. Like if I, the amount of stuff I bring with me to go trout fishing is pretty minimal, you know, like even when I'm guiding, it's like, and even less with steelhead, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, mean, steelhead, I'll be honest, after 10, 15 years of steelheading, swinging a swung, swinging steelhead guide can be a very boring career uh, because after about 10 years, you realize I've got these guys trained. They know how to use two-handed rods. Now I'm basically just sitting and watching them go through runs uh, days and days at a time. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I've done a few, I'll do a few you know, swung fly steelhead trips on the feather for like the little spring half pounders and a few, you know, Northern California adult fish. And it, it, it like, you're literally just like sitting in the boat chilling. Like you're yeah. just like, dude, <laughs> like I, my ADD just, just does yeah. not hang. <laughs> I, so I I'm how. definitely, I was, I had, I had, I guess, you know, got my center and my chi and I had, I had done pretty good for about 10 years. But what I didn't realize is I was really going backwards on who I was. Cause when I got to the, the stripers and the moving around and the chasing them and trying to understand all the tides and the places, and you add all that together and make a decision day by day. And of course, the number one thing I tell people is you're, if you're out there regular, you have yesterday's information and some of the most important information you can have is where you did not catch fish or where you struggled or where you were in water that just didn't feel right. Yeah. And of course you take that out of tomorrow and that can be the most valuable information, not necessarily where you did catch fish, but where you did not. Yeah. And that's interesting. Cause that's like, you know, I, I, I don't talk about that a lot, but it's like, the more days in a row that I'm out there and I filter out those crappy places 
or those places I'm not catching fish, I feel like the closer I get to like Valhalla, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm filtered. You, you, you get in a groove, you yeah. get in a feeling, you get in a, totally. and you know what? That all said, you sometimes throw the dart and you're way off. You oh, know? You're absolutely. Like, wow, absolutely. I should not have gone. Like I drive 45 minutes out to wherever and at the end of the day, and then I get a text from Chuck Reagan, like I should have drove, drove driven fifteen minutes the other way, you yeah. know. And oh, uh, dude, you're like, whoops, I zigged when I should have zagged. And it's funny, like that just feeling of utter defeat. Like I don't, I've never had that, like hmm. floating, you know, for trout on the Yuba. You know what I mean? Because it's like I'm gonna put the boat in, and we're floating to the bottom, and. Yep. You know, we're going to find a few here, a few there, or we're going to find a lot here and a lot there or none. Like you're just going like there is such a feeling of utter failure after like a 20 minute boat ride up or down river. And you're like, fuck, they're not here. Yep, <laughs> you <know>? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. yeah. No, I, you know, I mean, you, you can run the entire Delta spend $80 in fuel for a day and I've come back and literally been in sight of the launch and this is great when this happens and you end up just slaying them with the the launch like sign in your in behind your boat and you've you've you boated the entire delta it feels like totally uh and you're like wow i should have just stayed right here and spent five bucks and caught fish <laughs> totally uh, wow did i just wow and then the other time you go the other way you just stay there yeah. And you just crush it. And then that poor guide who shows up at the end of the day, which I've been that guy, but oh, I've been, the, yeah. and, and you've just sat there and slayed it and you almost don't even have the heart to tell him yeah. like, you know, I hope you enjoyed the boat ride. <laughs> isn't the Delta pretty? <laughs> isn't, isn't the Delta great, man? Yeah. No, it's, it's brutal, but it's such an amazing, I mean, it's an amazing watershed. It's super unique. Uh, I mean, I got to say Doing the summer smallmouth trip with you and your boys, that's that's always a slam dunk for me to take out, you know, any sort of uh father-son or father-daughter trips is Yeah, and, and that's and kind not, of that's kind yeah. of a unique thing that you do. I I mean, I'd never done that. And, you know, t tell the listeners a little bit about that fishery. So, I mean, super fortunate to have you out there. And I can't thank you enough for coming out, man. <laughs> oh, no, the, the, boys, the boys have basically said that's a yearly trip. So <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, we'll yeah. make it happen, you yeah. know, with or without the uh, the towable. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think that sealed the not, deal. That sealed the deal. It's not in my insurance clause, but, you know, so that's not, not a regular thing. But, no, the smallmouth thing is, I got to say, of all the fisheries I do out there, a lot of my regulars, they love the stripers, and you know that game. It's it takes a lot of effort, yeah. and it it takes some knowledge to be able to throw eight and nine weight rods with heavy sinking lines and big flies. Yeah, then for there's sure. the largemouth, which is floating topwater, two aught to four out, four aught frogs usually, and poppers. Yeah, um, I get a lot of those from Delta bass bugs. Uh, yeah. that just because they make some, they make some. They they do like car detailing on their poppers <laughs> yeah. and i'm like dude I, I like making flies but i'm not going to put nearly the effort that they make into those beautiful poppers so i usually get uh I, i've been using a lot of those flyman fishing company um howitzers oh yeah 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 i remember that that's what we fished when we were out with you yeah and, and so that's what i use also for the large mouth in size two aught and four aught on floating lines, throwing them over the weeds, finding those spots where the largemouth are sitting. So some of my regulars will come back and do that, but that takes some effort too. 
But the thing that has been a slam dunk, and I'd say is one of the more enjoyable things that I've found down here, is doing the smallmouth bass from like June through September. Uh, you've got a fishery where this is a knock on wood thing. It is the only fishery in 25 years of guiding I have yet to be skunked on. Yeah, that's I did the just the one day I was out there. You'd have to work pretty hard to not catch a fish. Well, you know that yes and no. I mean, obviously your boys are well trained and they're <laughs> pretty amazing at what they do. And so what I'm saying is I've had people, a lot of people, grandpa brings a granddaughter or totally. grandpa brings their grandson and this has happened a lot. 6 to 9 years old and I'll always check with them go, "Well, here, let's remember they're going to be in the boat for a couple hours, so let's make sure they actually want to be there. Yeah. And if you still believe that you know they're okay in the boat for a couple hours, we can take breaks. We can stop and get some ice cream, or I've got a couple of places to go. Yeah. Uh, but if not, if they're good with a couple hours, I have been able to take every person out there, whether they've touched a fly rod or not, and it is the most 101. I do it. I mean, it is as 101 as you get, and they cast they fish or work the fly, they hook and they land a fish. And every person where they've touched a fly rod or not has got smallmouth on the fly their very first day. And I can't tell you how enjoyable that is as a guide. Oh yeah. But even more so to be able to then go, okay, now you've done the very basic of fly fishing. Now I would suggest go back to Keeney's fly shop, fly fishing specialties, lost coast outfitters, Get your first outfit, and then I would suggest going on to the lower sack or, you know, up towards your way or, you know, I mean, it's, I then send them on to their next adventure. You know, I'm like, you yeah. can always come back with me and go smallmouth fishing again. Totally. But now, now go up to the, to the truckie. You have to be aware that you might not catch a fish, but yeah. you'll be, you'll stand in one of the most beautiful rivers in the world. There are beautiful fish in there and big fish in there. And go up to Matt Heron and give them a chance. And after a day of that, you'll know whether you want to be a fly fishing person or not. Totally. And it's it's and, fu- it's yeah. funny you say that too, is because like my boys, I mean, I always tell my, like my boys will believe me as they get older. I think, but they're they're spoiled little turds when it comes to fishing, oh, right? Yeah, you know what course. I mean? Like they've done all sorts of stuff. But one thing about that fishing that they had not done, and which I think is cool for, I don't, I don't mean, I don't care if you've been doing it for your whole life or you're just getting into it, but it's so visual too. Like yes, there is something, I don't care if you're passionate about the sport, how old or how jaded you may be that visual seeing fish chase your fly, eat your fly, pull off your fly, bump your fly, crush your fly. I mean, it was, they would. I don't even know if they, they'd never had that experience of just like such a visual fishery. And that, I mean, that, that's, that appeals to anyone, (laughs) you know? Uh, Well, I mean, like you said, I've had, so uh, like I, I make jokes of what you just said and you couldn't have said it better, but just another way to say it, I've had people email me from Mexico, which is one of my favorite fisheries for rooster fish on the East Cape. I got to go down there. Um, one of the, one of the jobs I forgot to talk about in, in, um, up on the rogue when I was up there for about, uh, six, seven years, I was part-time at Beulah fly rod. So just before I moved down here, I was the operations manager for Beulah fly rods. 
And one thing he always did was go down to Mexico every year and he'd leave the company and let me run it. And he'd be down in Mexico. And then I'd get to come down for a week or two here and there. And one of the most amazing fisheries chasing roosters and Dorado. Well, one of my favorite stories was I had this guy, he's down there catching roosters and Dorado. And he's emailing me about fishing smallmouth the next week when he gets back. Like that's, he's (laughs) like, do you have any openings? I just want to catch some of those smallmouth on top. So here a guy is in a world-class fishery totally. and he's talking about coming back to, to chase some smallmouth on a four or five weight rod. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, man. I mean, it, it, I don't, I mean, I, it, it's such a visual thing. It's perfect for beginners. It's it, it, realistically, it's perfect, for, it's perfect yeah. for anyone, man. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, it's such a neat fishery. It's great for getting people in the sport. It's great for the Bay area because I'll be honest, they got to pass by me to get to all you guys. And, you know, and I'm the first one to tell them to go on to you guys after they've been with me, but I'm like, Hey, give me a chance just to show you what you're up against and then go from there. And they'll come out for the day. They'll, some of them obviously are going to go, go on with it. Some of them are like, you know what? This is not for me. And, and it really, is a great way to figure out what fly fishing, the basics of fly fishing is about. And then you yeah. decide if you want to go from there. Yeah. And so the best time you said for that, if for the listeners is going to be like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking June, July, August, and then maybe into September if it, if depending. Exactly. Yeah. As a rule, I say June 15th to September 15th, but you're right. June, July, August can't be beat. Same yeah. with the largemouth uh, for top water. And if, if I see people are doing really well with the smallmouth, I always have the largemouth rods on board and I'll be like, Hey, you want to turn this up a notch and throw some eight weights with some big uh, frog patterns? We'll yeah. go through for some for the largemouth as well. That's so cool. Yeah. And yeah. what's really cool about that is like, I mean, obviously that's our, you know, that's our really good striper window on the rivers, but for that beginning angler, like, you know, yeah. June, July, August, you know, like that's, you're out. It's summer, you know, there's a lot that's fishing good, but honestly, I mean, the heat of the summer is not always that great trout fishing on say like the Truckee. And the, you know what I mean? Like, so having a really good fishery in the middle of the summer is awesome. And to your, to your point, when anybody asks me about stripers, I'm like, you need to talk to Hogan Brown and Chuck (laughs) Reagan and you don't even waste your time with me. You want to come in the spring and the fall? Okay. I'll take care of you. You want to come in the summer? I'm like, you know what? You need to go up the rivers. You need, you need to go see these boys because they're doing something fun. And I obviously I'm sending the sticks your way. And then, yeah, if someone's like, Hey, I want to get into fly fishing. I'm like, let's go smallmouth bass fishing. Yeah. Right? I, I pretty much do half day trips during that time of year. So I'm, I'm usually ending around one o'clock or so yeah. before it gets too hot. Yeah. Well, and even I know when we came, when we came down this summer, me and the boys, like it was hot in Chico and it, it, it was very pleasant and cool down by you. I mean, it, you, you get a little bit of that cool, I don't know, Delta breeze, ocean, <laughs> Breeze. And what's your feeling up your way up uh, towards Chico on the smallmouth up that way and their and their willingness to feed for topwater? Um, I mean, the smallmouth in our river are kind of a weird deal. Like, I know where they're going to be, like April May, you know, okay. and I'll take the boys out and we can get them. Um, they don't eat topwater really well 
at all. Okay. You know, and you've tried to do what we basically, we Oh yeah, absolutely. So our, any, any guesses there? Like what, what's going on there? I think they're just, they are where, where I know they are going to be is I think they're staging to spawn, you know, and I think most of their food, I think in the river, they ate a ton of crayfish, you know? And so they are not, they're not looking up as much, you know? Um, but again, it's, it's a weird fishery where we are. Like I, I come July, like I, if you gave me a hundred bucks, like I probably couldn't catch one. You know That's crazy. I mean? Yeah. Like I just don't know. So where I've done go. it all the way. And I was going to tell this for the, the listeners. I mean, you got Georgiana slew, you got steamboat slew, you got a uh, minor, um, slew and you got the Sacramento all the way up to Sacramento proper. I've caught smallmouth up and down all the way. And what I've, you know, had people do is like in areas, they find areas where they can go out on paddle boards on kayaks on, you know, obviously boats like, you know, proper boats you can go on or, but to me, it's one of the more obvious fisheries that people can go out and do, you know, in summer. For sure. But I don't know above Sacramento, you know, Why? there's, I don't know either. And you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I've done it up to, uh, what's that next thing above sack where, uh, the feather comes in, right? Um, oh, Verona, Verona. So I've yeah. done it as I've done it all the way up to Verona. Yeah. And I, I've the wing dams. Yeah. And I'm sure if I put more time into it, I could figure it out a little better. I just, mm-hmm. I don't, it's striper season for me. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? Yeah, and that would be the same thing for me too. So I mean, yeah. there's no reason to reverse uh, another tactic um, besides the. I don't think we did it, but besides the four to, size four to six poppers against the banks, pretty deadly. Another thing I've been playing with is six to eight foot leaders off a floating line with jig patterns, and you can really work those rock walls. Oh yeah, uh, and that's just been deadly as well. <laughs> And that's kind of more of the technique that we use on the river, you know, like banging it down the bottom of something, you know what I mean? And that, that's kind of more the style we fish. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So come September, then you roll into your striper season. So yeah, every year changes, but you know, I mean, as a, as a rule, I tell people, uh, February 15th till about June is, is stripers June through sept, you know, till early September is smallmouth, largemouth. Yeah. And then somewhere around September 15th, you know, I'll start heading out west and uh, run into Mike Costello out there or, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll start uh, doing the stripers. Gotcha. And then how, know, how long do you do the striper fishing in the spring? I've generally been finished, or spring or the, or the, uh, the fall? The fall, excuse me. The fall, I usually been finishing up the uh, about the middle of December or just the week before Christmas. I usually gotcha. uh, the first week I take off to get my Christmas sh- shopping done is the week of Christmas. <laughs> gotcha. And so, I mean, that's now. Are those fish coming out or mm. moving into the delta? That is a great question. Is that, One that you yeah. know, I have great, had wonderful talks with people such as yourself. I think at this point, there's no rule that those stripers follow. That's yeah, my, agree. <laughs> my personal yeah. opinion. And it is 
much younger than a lot of the, you know, the, you know, say Maury Hatch or Mike Costello or yeah. Steve Santucci yeah. or uh, they, I'm sure they all have an answer to this. My answer to this is they're not studying them or tracking them that well, you know, yeah. so there's yeah. not a lot of knowledge there. I think they follow food and that changes them every year. You know, it's yeah. obviously if you got more food up in the rivers, they're going to stay up in the rivers longer. And I know you've experienced that. Yeah. If there's, uh, they say there's that World Series bite. If the if there's a bunch of bait out there in the bay around the World Series time, they're not in the fall. They're not going to come in as early. Uh, yeah. They're going to stay there. There's almost going to be a wall. And then it comes down to water temperatures. If the water stays really warm, they're not going to want to come into the delta either. Gotcha. That said, they do come in at least for the spring to spawn. Right. Yeah. So that's spring yeah. spawn. They start working up the rivers. Sometimes they spawn way up the river. Sometimes they spawn middle river, meaning like in the Delta basically, yeah, but I was going to say that's rivers. in the, yeah. Uh, and, and then I think it's a mix of, uh, there's also times where I'll talk to everyone. Everybody's catching some fish, but nobody's just crushing it. I yeah. think they're just spread out evenly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an, it's an interesting thing. I don't think there's a set pattern. I do believe they come in the spring to spawn, obviously. So they're yeah. coming in from to the Delta. Uh, and, and then I believe when the water gets too hot, they're either going to go up your way into the rivers yeah. or they're going to go out into the Bay because it's 75 degrees or warmer in the middle Delta. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and obviously you, I'll, I'll find some shakers during that time, but it is really hard to find a fish five pounds or bigger when that water gets well above 70 degrees. Oh gosh. I couldn't even imagine. I mean, I never fish water that warm. I would be scared. <laughs> they're, they're hard to find. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, you know, 70 is kind of that number where you're like, oh, it's going to get tough to find stripers yeah. and I should probably start thinking about large mouth and small mouth. Yeah, for sure. That's my number. You know? Yeah. And, oh no. For other people, that means they go somewhere else. You know, they're yeah. like, oh, it's time to go do another fishery. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. spending as much time as you do out on the Delta, what what is, I mean, I'm sure you got a pretty long list, but what are the, what are the species you have caught out on the Delta? Oh, so catfish. Okay. Catfish. We'll get X amount of salmon per fall, generally. Yeah. 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 We get those on the river in the summer too. And they're, I don't know, my experience with salmon doing striper fishing or is they always for me a lot of times shake the hook because you strip set them and you don't get a really good hook set on a salmon when you strip set them do you guys land most of yours you know we get close uh yeah and so i i haven't experienced what you're saying as much it's only my we theory it's only a theory them off um, oh okay uh, because uh they're just too hot for us to handle and we're gotcha. getting them up to the boat a lot. And if I had a proper net, we probably yes, yes. could land them, but I'm not <laughs> set up to, yeah. to land salmon. And we're on 15 to 20 pound test and yes. you're pushing whether or not your rod should even be doing that. Uh, sometimes they'll come they'll just come up to the boat, but you know, they're not done and they're just yeah. out of reach. And then they go crazy and something's got to give. And so yeah. yeah, I've landed, you know, I land a couple a year, we yeah. lose a couple a year and, but we don't, they don't unhook very much for us. It's really? usually See, we break I always, them off. Yeah. I, I, and I don't know. I have no idea. Pure theory. Like I just, it seems like guys will stick them 
you'll see yeah. them. And then they do that kind of death roll head shake thing. Yeah. And a lot of times throw the hook at that point. Yeah, I wonder but, if I, our hooks are our set. Nah, just, I yeah, was trying to think I don't the know. setups were a little different. I've also I've also like broken so many dudes' hearts because I don't have a net and I try to do the like yeah. I'm gonna tail this fish at the boat yeah. and just fucking farm it. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Totally. Just, it, uh, yeah, and I can't say I haven't done that. And then <laughs> or I miss the boca grip swing, you know, like totally. I'll do the boca grip to the mouth and like it'll slip out of the mouth over the dog teeth or something like that. Totally. And you just crush your guys. So jacked to get that, that hero shot. Just crush. So yeah. yeah. So you get the steelhead every once in a while, but very few steelhead. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then other than that, uh, you get the, you get crappie, you get uh, black Mm -hmm. crappie, uh, you get some, you get some crazy bluegill that decide they can handle something that you're throwing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Comic. I call them kamikaze bluegill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it but other than that, I'm not thinking, I'm trying to think of a bunch of other fish, but that's about, I, I mean, that's oh, a good scorecard. Uh, you know, Sacramento pike minnow. Uh, oh, yeah. I have to say, yeah. and I've been surprisingly, I've been getting a few every year on top water on frogs. Oh, that's good stuff. Which is exciting. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, and, you know, they are native, so, you know, you got to give them their due. They belong here. They belong here. Yeah. I mean, more so than the stripers sometimes, I guess, if you want to yeah. argue it. Yeah. You know, so it's hard. But it's it's always exciting when they take the top water. That is cool. Yeah. I always people, you know, they'll eat a striper fly on the river and for, for you know, that first initial hit and pull, you got to fish. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So. Well, cool, man. <laughs> Well, we're wrapping up here on about an hour, man, and I usually kind of like to wrap it up about an hour. What do you What do you got cooking here for the the rest of the winter into the spring season? Anything coming up? You know, of course, I'll be using all my Loon Outdoors. Or, <laughs> there loon, you go. Yeah, <laughs> Loon yeah. Outdoor tools as you to fill the boxes. Flies. As you fill That's, your yeah. boxes. Shameless promotion for Loon Outdoor uh, tools to yeah. uh, tie a ton of flies to fill fill my boxes. Yeah. We'll have the shows coming up. We got the ISE show coming up uh, here in a couple weeks. Yeah. So I'll probably get, get in there, you know, and uh, do all the visits and maybe uh, help out in a booth or two. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Pleasanton. Uh, so I know um, I'm looking to be in the Far Bank cool. booth over in Pleasanton. Um, are you going to be over at that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I make my rounds probably very similar to you to all those shows yep. and, uh, yep. you know, hang out and see everybody. You know, and then of course I use this. Oh, I got a trip coming up. I'm gonna take my dad up with uh, um, Ryan uh, Williams and do the. Uh, oh, good fly. for you! Good for yeah. you! Oh, dude! So among getting out on a guided trip with you and uh, <laughs> Ryan Williams has been on my. Um, he's been on my list for a couple of years now. So I finally uh, pinned it, pinned him down, and good. gonna take dad out there, do some float and fly, and that my dad lives in Newcastle, so that's Perfect. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, get them out there, have a great time. So that's kind of on the list. And then I'll hit a few fisheries here and there. Maybe I usually go down and visit Dan Blanton and them down in San Luis and, uh, okay. O'Neal for fun. Yeah. And then yeah. somewhere around February, uh, middle of February, I can't contain myself anymore <laughs> and it's time to start hunting on the Delta and yeah. I'll start getting the calls, you know, of kind of, you know, people are like, ah, let, I want to get out there with you. I don't care if we catch fish and, you yeah. know, and oh, yeah. that kind of early season. And then usually by March, it's all in again. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's March, April, May 
have been pretty consistent the last couple of years for stripers. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's a good little, that's a good little program you got. This kind of your, kind of your downtime and you can, sounds like you can do some fun stuff. Um, you're going to get out. I haven't been out in it. I've seen it. I've seen Ryan a few times, but you'll be able to get out in his new boat. So that's, yeah, I'm excited. Fun. Yeah. It's a pretty sweet ride. I, I'm yeah, no, very I'm, excited for him. I cannot thank you enough for letting me come on and talk with you. To be honest, selfishly, I just wanted to talk with you for an hour. Oh, totally. Know, but, I uh, tell people that all the time. I'm like, dude, this like, <laughs> it, it, you don't have to like my podcast because basically yeah. it's just me calling my friends and having an excuse to talk to them for an hour. So <laughs> and while I have you, you know, we need to get a podcast where we get to hear all about you, you know, from start to finish, <laughs> uh, because I was talking, I was actually out with, uh, Patrick McKenzie the other oh, day. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and he's like, you know, dude, you need to do one of those podcast things. And I'm like, well, I'll I'll, I'll talk to Hogan about <laughs> it. I don't know if it's my thing. I'm gonna listen to some of them and see where I'm at. So your yeah. podcasts have been my workout buddy lately, you know. Awesome. And, um, and but he, I was talking to Patrick, and he's like, you know what? We should reverse it on him sometime. We should <laughs> we should we should get together, and the three of us should interview and talk to him. And oh figure yeah, out who this guy is? And that's I'm like, a great you know idea, dude. That no, that's like honestly a great idea. Who Hogan Brown is? So <laughs> you know, so oh. maybe that's something down the road. You know, is more people need to know who all about Hogan oh, Brown. I just don't think I'm that interesting. But you, oh, know. <laughs> you know what? I I say the same thing, Hogan. I, I was excited to get on with you, but as I was leading up to it, I'm like, you know what? I don't even know if I should do this thing because, like, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It's like, is what we do that interesting? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, I hear you, brother. It, it is funny, though. But no, I can't thank you enough. And I got to say, when I moved down here in 2010, the support from guys like yourself, Chuck Reagan, Keeney's Fly Shop at the time, it was Bill Keeney and yeah. all the, you know, Andy Gee boards and the Maury hatches, you know, it was it was nice to come down after, you know, I'd been doing it like 15 years, but I was in a completely new world. And I got to say that people were pretty darn supportive and it was, you know, you got to love this industry for that reason. Oh yeah, man. It's, uh, it, it was always great in those early, I mean, there's not many more people than you that I know that are passionate about what they do, you know, and it was easy to see that, you know, we just needed to point you in the right direction and you'd figure it yeah. out. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I need, I needed the point. I was yeah. a little lost. I was like, yeah. Wow, I'm gonna guide the American, and I'm gonna live in Sacramento. I'm like, I don't know how that works from where I came from. I, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I know you can understand that. I mean, nothing Absolutely. wrong with the American. It's an amazing river, but I was like, it's a different river from where I came from, and I didn't understand how that would work. So finding the Delta and the other fisheries and all the fisheries that California has to offer is pretty amazing. Oh, absolutely. Well, cool, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. I super appreciate it. And uh, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you if they have questions or want to know more about what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so it's just Bryce Tedford Fly, at Bryce Tedford Fly Fishing on both Facebook or on Instagram. And then uh, website is Bryce Tedford Fly Awesome, man. Well, thanks again, Bryce. Thanks to our sponsors, Loon Outdoors and Sierra Nevada. And uh, if anyone has any questions, definitely reach out and get in touch with Bryce. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. No better, fish better. Part of the Barbless Podcast Network. Special thanks to our sponsors. Without them, this show would not be possible. Like this episode? Leave a review. 